it's good to be here tonight and it's good to have a testimony to give. And I know I'm very nervous, but the Lord's with me and I hope that I'll be able to I have my wee this on, Sharon. And and I, I have a testimony to tell and I want to start off first by reading God's word in Acts chapter sixteen. If you want to turn to it, and if you don't, I'll read it. And this is about the Philippine jailer. And uh, he, um, you know, there was a great earthquake and the prison doors were all open and uh, the bands were all loosed and the prisoners could have fled. And he came in trembling and fearing God and he cried out, what must I do to be saved? And the word came back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then the next verse is in <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. Now, and I'm going to change this slightly. And it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. I'm going to change it. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I am healed. <clears throat> now, I was born... In October, <laughs> the 5th of October, into a family, a godly family, a lovely family, a Christian home where mum and dad sought to bring us up in the fear of the gospel and the love of Christ. And we were um, a family of eight, but for a long time there was only six of us. But uh, we were sent along to Sunday school from a very early age. Many times we had to be carried to Sunday school. And uh, just like the children of today, <laughs> but there was no cars then. We had to walk. But anyway, uh, it was great to be able to go to Sunday school. And I loved to get to Sunday school. And I loved to learn verses. I, over the years of uh, being in a Christian home, we had no television, we had no radio. We had work to do in the farm. Well, we didn't do so much work with the men folk. But we were happy. We made our own fun. We didn't have all the worldly things that maybe they have today. But we were very happy and played together and had our fun, had our ups and downs, had our rows and our fights. But that happens in every family. So anyway, we went along to Sunday school and we were very happy and sent along to many, many, many gospel missions up and down the length and breadth of the land. And many times we walked to them Maybe father wasn't in from the field until late at night. He had to milk the cows. He wasn't ready in time for to come take us to the meeting. So we walked, and then dad came later on and was there in time for the meeting to start. But it was, it was the way we were brought up. We thought nothing about it. There was no difference. We had no desire for the worldly things or the things of the world. We just lived our life around the farm and around our cousins and around all our relatives. And that's the way we were brought up. And as I say, we went to different, different uh, meetings. And during my course at Sunday school, I memorized every verse in the New Testament over the years. For our Sunday school was started in January the 1st and ended on the 31st of December. There was no stop and in between 52 days. And you got special prizes for if you learned uh, they would have given you, on the older ones, when I got older, we would have maybe the book of Matthew to memorise for to get a special prize. We would have maybe all the different books of the Bible to memorise. And that didn't save me. didn't make me any better than anybody else. It was uh, just something I loved to do and I was able to do it. And one year we had a, a competition and in in the prize given. Now, some of the folk in other fellowships said that we couldn't possibly memorize a chapter of verses. And uh, I memorized, I said a chapter of verse without a mistake at the Sunday school prize given, which was the only one who was able to do it. <laughs> but the rest were very good as well, but I just got a special prize. So. But that didn't save me, but that brought a greater responsibility. And you know, mummy and dad didn't preach at us and say, you need to be saved, you need to be saved. They prayed for us, prayed for us morning, noon and night. And our, cousin, our aunts and our uncles prayed for us as well. We were a close-knit community in the Brethren. And most of the folk in the Balachi Assembly were all related. That's how, this, that's how the fellowship started. It was all aunts and uncles. But we were surrounded by 
the fellowship, surrounded by people that prayed for us. And uh, it went on and on and on. And I didn't get into any bad work or anything like that. Too, too nervous and too afraid of what might happen to me. I stumbled greatly at the word believe. And at night, I used to waken in the middle of the night and listen to hear if I could hear my parents moving in the bed. I was afraid of the Lord coming. I was afraid of missing the opportunity of salvation. And I really, really would long to have been saved long before I did. I think at the age of nine, I thought I'd made a profession and I said, don't tell anybody, but it wasn't saved. I knew there was nothing there. And then I had an uncle who was a missionary out in Zambia and he was leaving one time to go back out to Zambia. He was a missionary for over 30 years and was only home in furlough three times during that time. So he's very special. So we were all standing along the quay of the Belfast at the, waiting for him to get onto the ship. And he shook my hand and he said to me, Elizabeth, if I don't meet you again on this side of eternity, will I meet you in heaven? And that was like an arrow to my heart. I was longing to be saved, but couldn't seem to get it, grasp it. I wasn't like Pat here that was in the first meeting and got saved. I attended mission after mission and did everything that I could, but most of the family had professed to be saved and in different uh, missions. And I came then to the month of July of 1962. And I was almost 15 years of age at that time. And there came two godly men to carry out a tent mission <clears throat> in the outskirts of Balachi. The tent was erected and the first week went by, the second week went by, the third week, fourth week, I think it was into the fourth week, when the Holy Spirit really struck me. Uh, behind the platform they had a chart, the two ways, the broad way and the narrow way. And every night I looked at that and I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm in the broad way and there's what I'm leading to a lost eternity. So anyway, I was sitting beside my mum this night and I was really, really very anxious to be saved. I couldn't tell you one word the preacher preached on, not one word. Uh, the night before, they preached in hell and I thought, I, as a mental glimpse of what it was like, hell burning fire and brimstone. And then I was sitting beside my mummy on the 9th of August at about 10 to 9, when the Holy Spirit just came upon me and I cried out to the Lord, what must I do to be saved? And the word come back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And there and then by a simple act of faith, I saw Christ hanging on the cross for me and me only that night. And I said to myself, well, God is satisfied with the work that Christ has done on the cross. Therefore, I'm satisfied. And I asked the Lord to take away my sin and come and live in my life and make me a new person completely. And uh, that was all right. That verse came before me then. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes I am healed. And the old devil gets at, at you now, you know. And he says to me, oh, that's too simple. You're not saved. That couldn't be right. And I said, I'll tell nobody. And I was coming out of the tent, and Mummy's sister, Aunt Rachel, says to me, is it not time you were saved? Just like that. She'd never done it before. And I says, I got saved in the meeting tonight. And there was great rejoicing, I tell you, at almost 15 years of age. There was great rejoicing. And Ruth wasn't saved, but she would love to have been saved. And she cried the whole night, but just couldn't get it. It was a few years until she came to know the Lord. But you know, uh, Mr. Adamson was preaching at the time and he came down the tent and he came across to me and he says, I knew you trusted the Lord. He says, I could see the change in your face right away. The burden was lifted, the burden was gone. So then I, that was all right. I went on and I lived for the fellowship at Balachi, became a Sunday school teacher and was taught for 22 years. I didn't know how they were going to get rid of me. <laughs> But I loved it. I loved the children. I had about 13, 10 to 13 in my class. And they were all ages. And do you know, I loved it. And then the fateful day came when I met C.J. Wallace. <laughs> and um, 
Clarence and I were very happily married. We were very, very happy. He took me into a completely different world. I was wrapped up in brethren, going to meetings, going to prayer meetings, Bible readings, ministry meetings, and all over the country, as far as we could go, we went and attended, and very good meetings there were too. And I, was, I t learned a lot from the ministry of many of those dear old brethren evangelists. And I, I, I can truthfully say that they uh, were absolutely tremendous, tremendous. But anyway, Clarence brought me out into a different world, a different world altogether. Bertie's laughing here. <laughs> and we were very happy now. We were really very happy. One day, Clarence thought I was just an old brother, and he says to me, Elizabeth, your brother, I died in the wool, brother, and you'll never change. <laughs> I don't think he was right there, but anyway. <laughs> but he didn't mind. <laughs> we, no, we had no arguments and no rows and no fights, and Clarence was the head of the house, and I, when Clarence took ill on July 21, it was terrible. It was an awful, well, it wasn't really a shock. He was 92 years of age, but I thought Clarence would live forever, for he was so strong and so healthy up to a certain age. But the Lord decided that Clarence was to go away home. And do you know, it, it was a blessing, really, because when I was diagnosed, and after Clarence passed away, I took a very bad throat called pharyngitis, and I cleared up. And uh, I took it again, a relapse in January of 2022. And I, um, I rang the doctor, and Dr. Evan Shark, he said to me, I thought I had COVID. And he says, Elizabeth, you haven't got COVID. You've got your very bad throat has come back again. And he says, I'll, I'll prescribe um, antibiotic for you. So he gave me the antibiotic, and I took it. And that all cleared up. Now, the antibiotic was very severe on me. And, but anyway, after the antibiotic had cleared by the end of January, I noticed three wee lumps here in the base of my neck. And I was a wee bit concerned. So I phoned Dr. Hearn and she says, come down, Elizabeth, and I'll have a wee look. So I went down to see Dr. Hearn and she was absolutely shocked. And she says, those are lymph nodes, Elizabeth. Have you had night sweats? Have you lost a lot of weight? Are you being sick? and all this, and I had nothing like that, no symptoms at all. And she was very, very, very concerned. She says, I'll send you for an ultrasound. Now, I went for the ultrasound. I was praying to the Lord and asking the Lord, and do you know, funny, I was quite strong. And even though uh, she told me all this, I didn't seem to um, get overly anxious about it. I just left it with the Lord and asked the Lord to guide me and to lead me. And the Lord did that. And the Lord was with me every step of the way, believe you me, because I couldn't have done it and with Clarence not there. Clarence was a great mainstay, he was a great man of prayer, and he would have laid hands on me and prayed any time I wasn't well. And uh, he just was, wasn't there, so I had to depend on the Lord then. So you see what I mean? But anyway, um, Dr. Hearn sent me for an ultrasound and I went for the ultrasound. I think it was about the month of March, April, and the, the consultant there says, don't you worry about this, Elizabeth. That comes up when you have a very bad throat, and you had a very, very bad throat infection, and that comes up to fight the infection, but I'll send you for a CT scan anyway. So that was all right. I went on about my business. I painted the fence, and I painted the garden shed, and I did uh, wallpapering and a whole lot of things in the house. It didn't hold me back. I just went on and just prayed to the Lord that everything would be all right. But anyway, I went for a CT scan. I think it must have been the month of June, July. And uh, the CT scan, the information went back to the hospital. So Dr. Foy was the hematologist and he called me in. And I was quite relaxed and not overly concerned. The Lord, I believe the Lord was with me and strengthened me. And he, he said to me, you know, Elizabeth, you have got follicular lymphoma. It's inoperable, it's incurable, but it's treatable. And when he said that word treatable, I thought immediately of people that have illnesses that are treatable. And I said, well, Dr. Foy, 
the Lord is with me. And he says, yes. And he says, Elizabeth, you're going to lose your lovely hair. And he got up and he gave me a big hug. And I says, Dr. Foy, the Lord that allowed it to grow in the first place, it allowed it to grow again. And he looked at me, you know, and he just smiled. And then he said to me, Elizabeth, the next day you come down to see me, bring someone with you. Because I knew I wasn't taking anything in. I was going in here and out here, but I just couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate on what he was saying. So, however, that was all right. Ruth, um, I had, uh, there was some of the ladies here in the fellowship, and they says, Elizabeth, don't you worry about going for treatment. We'll take you down. But I know the ladies here are awful good, and the families of their own, young people at school, and they're running here. And I didn't know how long I would be in the hospital or how long the treatment would take. And I was one day, I was just praying, and I was crying, and I was pleading with the Lord, really pleading with the Lord to um, open up the way and to lead and to guide and to help me. And uh, just as I was praying, my landline rang, <clears throat> and it was my sister Ruth, and she never rings in the landline because Ruth can't talk on the phone. She'd lost her voice, and her voice was very croaky, and we didn't talk on the phone. We'd text everybody, text each other every night. But anyway, Ruth says to me, Betsy, she calls me Betsy, I want you to come down here when you're going through your treatment and I want to look after you and I'm going to look after you. And I says, but Ruth, you live in Castle Dawson, I live in Killyman, that would be impossible if I go to Craig Abbott. She says, I don't care if it's 100 miles, I'm going to look after you. Well, you talk about an answer to prayer. And I says, Ruth, God has just answered my prayer for I've been pleading and pleading with the Lord to open up the door for me for, to go up and down to the hospital at Craig Avon. Now, I went for the CT scan, and then they sent me for a biopsy. And the biopsy, I had to stay with a friend overnight, so I stayed with my old friend, Marilyn Fenton Nesbitt, that lived down at Tamna Moor. And they didn't want me to go home, and they wanted me to stay for about a week. <laughs> but anyway, I went home, and I had the, got the word. And Ruth went down with me the next time I was called in to see Dr. Foy. But before that, I should tell you, we were having our open-air meetings in the park. And I had a cousin who had... Um, Hodgkin's lymphoma and she rang me when she heard that I had lymphoma and she rang me and she gave me all the negative side of everything how she was sick and how she was fainting and how she was this and that and the other thing and Ruth said, said to me I was saying to Ruth that Elizabeth phoned me she says I hope she didn't tell her Betsy all that happened to her but she did and it sort of scared me for I you don't know what you're going to face. And um, so anyway, I was in the park one night and Wendy Abbott, who has been through chemotherapy for cancer four times, I think it is, she sat down beside me and she told me all the positive side. She was completely different. Trust in the Lord, Elizabeth. The Lord will bring you through. And she was so positive at give me a spring in my step. And I says, right, I'm going to go through this. Whatever the Lord has for me, I'm going to go through it. Now, I had my ups and downs, like everything. You don't go through things like that with a, a cheery heart at time. At night, I used to wonder what would happen if I didn't come through. And I just used to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to just, just help me. Do you know what he used to do? He used to give me a a hymn, and I used to sing a hymn into my heart, inside myself, so Ruth wouldn't hear me upstairs, and I used to sing, and you know, it was a great comfort to me, there was times when I couldn't read, and there was times I couldn't pray, and I knew that the people here in the Lifeboat Fellowship were praying for me, for me, a humble person like me, and I was so unworthy, I felt so humbled and so unworthy, that the love of God was shown so much from the people here in the fellowship. And I know uh, I was getting messages and I got cards and I got text messages and, and visits from people, and it was great. And anyway, I started, uh, I shouldn't say all that because I'm sort of going forward a wee bit, but Ruth came with me and she took in everything that Dr. Foy told me I would be going through and all the different symptoms that I might have. They said I would um, 
have night sweats very bad. I would have tingling of the hands and feet. I would lose my hair. I would be sick and I would be this and that and the other thing. And Ruth had it all in her head because she looked after her husband who was ill. He, was, he wasn't well and she just listened to everything. She heard everything. And she brought home the leaflets and she read them. I didn't read them for I don't like reading up about different things because you begin to think, oh, I've this and I've that and I've the other thing. I left it to Ruth. She did all the reading and she did all the looking after. So anyway, we, I went down to Ruth. And I'll tell you, anybody who came to visit would know what it was like to live with Ruth Kilgore, my sister, two and a half years younger than me. And the Lord was so, so gracious. And you know, the Lord gives you verses and he gives you scripture texts. And I'm just going to read one. This is, this is one of them. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And you know, these, these verses, that wee book was given to me by a young lady in the fellowship here, I see she's smiling at me, and that was my wee Bible. When I couldn't read my Bible, this was my Bible. I read it and had all the different, um, different situations, compassion and believing and trusting and all that in it. And there was another one. The Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And I, I, the night before I was due to have my first treatment, there was three elders. There was Roy, Adrian, and Stephen, and they came round to my house. And they prayed with me. Now, it was the night before I was going in for the treatment, and you know rightly what that would be like. You'd be shaking in your shoes, and you'd be fearing, and you'd be wondering and wondering, and maybe that. And they laid hands on me and prayed with me and anointed me with oil. And I can honestly say that fear left me. I went to bed, and I slept, and I had no fear or no dread or no thought of what tomorrow would hold. Now, that is the Lord, definitely, and the Lord has been so good. So we went for my first treatment, and it lasts, uh, you're in a chair, a recliner chair, it lasts for about seven hours. All my treatment lasts for about seven hours because I have a heart condition, and they couldn't give it to me any quicker. They had to actually slow it down, and uh, I didn't realise that they slowed it down so much. There was a man in the other day, last Friday, when I was in getting my f antibody flush, and he was getting the same as what I got, and his only took about four hours. Mine took about 78 hours. So they had to slow it down quite a bit. I suppose they wanted to keep me in to keep me under subjection. <laughs> but anyway, Ruth, Ruth, when she left me down to Craig Avon, she went up to my house at Killy Man. She made herself some tea. She just made herself at home. She rested and she went out for a walk, and then she went down to a neighbour called Doreen Lewis. Doreen looked after my house while I was away. She came in and checked the post and checked everything. And it was lovely. Believers all over the place. Christians. We're all one big family of God. And God is somebody everywhere in every corner of the field looking after each and every one of us. And, you know, it, I, I had no dread going in for treatment. I didn't dread it. I lost my hair and it, was, it seemed to annoy David and Ruth more than it annoyed me because they could see my hair was gone. David, he said to Ruth one day, did they have to shave our Betsy's head, her hair all off, you know? And Ruth says, no, David, it fell out. <laughs> David is my brother, it's not married and lives down at home and Ruth looks after him as well. So anyway, I went to stay with Ruth and she took me every third week to uh, Craig Avon. Now, the first week I was there, I had my treatment, chemo, and then two days after that, they gave me another shot of chemo, well, it's uh, another form of chemo, but it's uh, by injection into the stomach, and that injection into the stomach did me more harm than, well, I suppose it was the two working together, but it, uh, it left me very weak for about a week after the treatment. 
and I was dizzy and I was lightheaded. Of course, I am lightheaded anyway, but that makes no difference. But anyway, <laughs> I, um, Ruth cared for me and she watched my every move. She knew when I wasn't well. She would take my blood pressure. She would take my sugar level. She would take my temperature. She really nursed me and she's not even a nurse. And uh, we had to change all my details from Coal Island Clinic to Malahi. She did all that. She got my tablets out. 22 of them every morning when I was going through the chemo, and she did all that. I couldn't have done it. I just couldn't have done it without Ruth. The Lord provided me a helper, and it was my own dear sister, Ruth. And it was great. You know, uh, we, we sometimes take sisters for granted, but I'll tell you one thing. She's mighty. <laughs> and she used to take me out quite a bit in the car, but I wasn't I wasn't allowed to go out anywhere. I wasn't allowed to go out into companies or into groups because I was very vulnerable. And uh, there's a lot of diseases and germs out there that I didn't need or didn't want. And the Lord preserved me from all that. I never had a sore throat. And I'll tell you something, I wasn't sick. Well, I was only sick once, I think, when I was having... I, I should tell you, before I had my treatment, I, hadn't, I couldn't eat because I had um, a PET scan, and it seemed to, I had a big note here in the stomach, four inches uh, cluster, and uh, it was pushing against my esophagus, which meant I couldn't eat, and I, my body just started to swell. And uh, anyway, they, after the first treatment, I, um, uh, I had an antibody flush out the next week and the week after, an antibody, and went in for the second, treatment, I'd lost nearly four stone weight, so Dr. Foy was very, very, very concerned about that. I'd lost so much weight so quickly, but he soon got over that because it didn't do me any harm. <laughs> and he used to come in and chat to me, and I used to chat to Dr. Foy, and he, used, he, was, he seemed to talk to me more than any of the rest of the people. I don't know for why, but anyway, it was his birthday on the 23rd of December, and I said to Dr. Foy, the next time he came in to me, I said, you know, Dr. Foy, it was your birthday on the 23rd of December, and I was going to sing happy birthday to you. <laughs> and I said, I was afraid of all the patients running out and you running out. <laughs> but anyway, he says, Elizabeth, you're my wonder woman. And I says, Dr. Foy, no wonder. I says, I have, look at these girls here, they're pumping stuff into my arm. And I says, look at these girls, they're so dedicated, they're so caring, they're so kind. And I says, and I have the, and your expertise, and I says, and I have the Lord from above. And he says, Elizabeth, you are my wonder woman. And you know, he was just so nice, and I don't know where he stands, but I know one thing, he was very gracious to me and very kind. And uh, the Lord was very good to me. And I had that for five months. I went up and down. Ruth took me up and down. And do you know the Lord is gracious? Not one day did we have snow or ice on the road going from Castle Dawson to Craig Avon, 50 miles. Not one day. And the, road was, the roads were dry. And I says, you know, Ruth, the Lord's gracious. And she says, the Lord is good to us. And we know it. And he was with us every step of the way. And I know I'm blethering a wee bit, but, you know, going through all that treatment, and there was times when I was sick, and when, I, well, it wasn't sick, I was weak, just weakness. And, uh, but Ruth wouldn't hear telling me going up the stairs to lie in bed. She gave me her bed downstairs with the ensuite beside, and she wouldn't allow me to go upstairs in case it would fall. She was just so kind. She made me my dinner, my tea. And when I went to Ruth, I started to eat, and I never stopped eating. I haven't stopped them. I've been eating all the time. And the Lord has been so good to me. And I can't, I can only give glory to the Lord. The Lord is wonderful. And I tell you, it was a journey that I never, ever, ever, ever thought that I would have to go through. But the Lord brought me through it. And with the help of loved ones here and prayers, and the prayer, I knew I was being prayed for. I felt as though I was being carried in the arms of the Lord many a time. And, uh, you know, the Lord is good. And we should give all our glory to the Lord and put our trust in him. And when I, I should say to the young people, if you're born again, make sure you keep in with good Christian company and walk with the Lord. That's what helped me in my Christian life. I stayed amongst Christians and believers, and in fact, uh, we were just um, one big family, just all 
clicked together, you know what I mean? And we loved each other and we had our time of fellowship and singing of hymns and, and home, that we, we services in the home and it was just lovely. And I think that's what helps you in your Christian pathway. It keeps you firm, it keeps you secure, it keeps you looking to the Lord and trusting in the Lord when you keep good company and trust in the Lord and keep going on. And I have uh, maybe outstayed uh, my time up here, but Bertie not mind. <laughs> but I just want to encourage everybody to pray and to pray for unsaved people. I have loved ones that profess to be saved and they never were, they're not walking with the Lord now. I don't know whether they were saved at all or not. And I cry every day for people, even in this fellowship, that are not saved. And I think it's very important we as believers should, should uh, pray continually for the unsaved in this country, in this, in this fellowship even, and in this country. And I know um, I've had great times, and Ruth, it helped Ruth seeing all my friends come to visit me. And uh, she said to me in the month of May, after I had the CT scan and after everything, the PET scan, and after everything was announced that I got the all clear, um, she says to me, I know why you went back to the f uh, lifeboat again. She says, you've got a lot of friends there. And I have, and I got the all clear, but they have advised me to continue getting what they call an antibody flush. That is, uh, my body produces a sticky substance called a CD20. And that's what attacks the white cells and causes them to cluster. And uh, they're, they're doing this to try and prevent that happening. And I go now every two months for to get uh, this treatment. It's not chemo, but it, um, it's just a um, treatment for to, um, to fight the antibody. And uh, I go now, I've had three done. I have nine more to do over the next year and a half. So <laughs> it's not too bad. It's not too bad. But I want to thank everybody here tonight. And I've, I've wrote, wrote down notes and I didn't look at any of them. So what do you think of that? And thank you all very much for all your prayers and all the love and all the cards and the letters and the notes and the visits and everything that everybody uh, sent me for it was... It meant, it made me feel I was still here in the lifeboat among all my beloved ones, you know, when the Lord was good and um, I'm so thankful. And I'm so thankful that I'm so healthy and that I'm strong and I just suffer a wee bit of uh, low energy, but that's, that's with age. <laughs> that's with age. But anyway, the Lord has been so good to me and I want to thank you all very, very much. And give God all the glory for he alone is worthy. All right, thank you very much. Christ hung naked between the two thieves on the cross of Calvary, the Bible tells us that his tongue cleaved to the roof of his mouth, his visage was marred more than any other man's, his back, according to the scriptures, was cut to shreds, his breath his, his breast heaved in the heat of the noonday sun. And in that awful, awful position, he cried seven cries, renewing as the seven sayings of our Savior from the cross. I want to close our meeting in a few minutes tonight with the sixth cry, the one before the last. Just three words in John 19 and in John 19 and verse 30. It is finished. It is finished.
What was he saying? What was finished? And what did he mean? Well, he certainly wasn't finished. Hallelujah. Because on the third day he rose again. And he was saw by ten different people over 40 days and 500 all at the one time. John on the Isle of Patmos saw him and he fell at his feet as dead. And he said, Jesus said, Behold, I am he that liveth and was dead. So he wasn't finished. Can I say to you, believer, just now, as we come to close this meeting, you're not finished either. Don't let the devil tell you that you're finished. Don't let the devil tell you that you're no good. Don't let the devil tell you that you can't accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. He's a liar. You can. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. I'll tell you, my friend, tonight, a couple of things that that was finished. He finished the work that the Father gave him to do. He finished the work as a faithful servant. For three and a half years, night and day, he preached the gospel. He healed the sick, the lame, and the blind. He calmed the storm. He fed the thousands. He raised the dead, and on and on it goes. In John 17, he said to his father, Father, I have finished the work that thou hast given me to do. That word finishes was just one word. My friend, what God has done with one word. Just one word. It says in the Greek, tetelestai. It means executed. It, is, it means discharged. It was used whenever they paid a bill in the olden days and the stamp was on the stamp when someone paid the bill, the stamp that tetelestai paid in full. Hallelujah. It was paid in full. He said, the night cometh when no man can work. I want to tell you tonight, my friend, that his work was finished perfectly. May you and I finish the work perfectly that God has given us to do. May we fulfill the ministry. May we not turn back in these days. May we be like our Savior. May we be like the Apostle Paul who says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The faithful servant fulfilled the ministry faithfully that God gave him to do. So his he was, it was finished. His work was finished. But let me tell you this. His suffering was finished. Every prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures regarding the sufferings of our Savior was completed. Psalm 69, I went down into the deep where there was no standing and all the waves and billows of God's wrath came over me. Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. I tell you, no pen, no tongue, no writer, no preacher, no singer can ever, no mortal man can ever tell what our Savior suffered. And on that cross at Calvary, all his sufferings ended. His sufferings finished, framed by Satan, flogged by men, and forsaken by God. It was the soul, its soul was attacked at Gethsemane. You think of this as I close this meeting. We're thinking about our Savior. Stephen was preaching on him this morning. I'm preaching on him tonight. We uphold the cross here. We preach the blood here. We preach a Savior here. We preach the living Christ here to men and women. I tell you that at, Ka, at Gethsemane, it was his soul was attacked. He says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. At Gebatha, where they put the chain round his neck and stripped him naked and towed him down like this and lashed his back until it was in, his back was into pulp. It was his body. It was his body at Gebatha. It was his soul at Gethsemane. It was his spirit at Golgotha. When he hung there on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every area, every realm of my Savior's life, he suffered. He suffered and bled and died for sinners. And if you're in this meeting tonight, Christ died for you. He went through all this pain for you. And there on that cross where he hung those six hours, when he cried, Finished! 
I'll tell you, he'll never suffer anymore. No more agony, no more ignominy, no more pain. No more suffering. No more thorns, no more mocking, no more spitting. The Tommy Kelly, that barrister from Dublin penned that great hymn, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. A royal diadem adorns the mighty Saviour's brow. Hallelujah. His service was finished. His suffering was finished. Let me tell you something else. Satan was finished. Glory to God he was. He, 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 he dealt with the power of death and Satan and hell. When he cried, finished, with a loud voice, let me tell you, it reached out into the very courts of heaven and all the angels and seraphims and cherubims praised the mighty Lord God, Jehovah in heaven. It reached down into the very pit of hell and reverberated in every demon in hell. Finished. It's over. And the death nail was served on Satan, let me tell you. And through death he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And praise God, he delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah to be saved, it's mighty tonight. It's mighty to be transformed out of darkness and translated out of darkness into light. It's mighty to be delivered from the hands of Satan tonight. And Satan has the first blow was hit on Satan. The second blow is going to be soon hit on him. We sing that hymn. He breaks the power of cancel sin. Sin was cancelled at Calvary, but there's still sin. But he breaks the power of cancel sin and sets the prisoner free. And you can live in victory above sin tonight. You can live in glorious victory tonight above sin because of the cross and because of Calvary. He breaks the power of cancelled sin and sets the prisoner free. He set the drunkard free, the drug addict free, the gambler free. My dear friend, he that the Son sets free is free indeed. Oh, the power that he had over the devil. And let me tell you something else that was finished. His service was finished. His suffering was finished. Satan was finished. The sacrifices were finished. He put away sin by one sacrifice, by the sacrifice of himself. No more blood, no more goats, no more lambs, no more heifers, no more calves, no more lavers, no more curtains, no more basins, basins no more veils. Hallelujah. By himself. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Glory to us. Glory to his lovely name tonight. And lastly, sin was finished. All our wicked, filthy sins on him were laid. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. What a look. Behold the Lamb of God. What a Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. What a load. He took Elizabeth's sin at a 15-year-old. He took my sin. He took your sins, say, uh, saint of God tonight, and he bore it all away in Calvary and set us gloriously free. Salvation there was wrought for you and for me. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore my sins on his own body upon the tree. Oh, what a mighty work was accomplished in bearing my sin. The justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. Isn't it a wonderful thing that you in this meeting tonight could sitting in that seat where you are, you can send a prayer up to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. Lord, take away my sin. And at that moment, a mighty, mighty transaction will take place. And the left are going out that you have never sinned. All our sins and iniquities on him were laid justified by grace and justified by faith and justified through the blood. All those are in the scriptures and my friend is mighty and also the, substi the, the, the substitution, the just for the unjust. He took my place and died for me. Hallelujah to his name. Listen to what I say as I come down to a close. His cross 
ransomed me. His righteousness covers me. His word instructs me. His promises cheer me. And his coming thrills me. He's coming again some of these days. Finished. How dare we add anything to it? Completed, executed, fully paid, paid to the full. How dare Rome or anybody else add anything to it? Or take away anything from it? It's a complete and utter mighty work that was accomplished there on that sixth cry with one word. Finished! I tell you, it's no wonder it reverberated down into hell and up into the glory. And tonight I can say, thank God, that it's finished. What a save. Don't you try to add anything to it. And don't you try to take anything away from it. Just you rest on that mighty truth tonight that all our sins are on him laid. Just rest on that mighty gospel tonight that Christ died for you and rose again for your sins and he lives forever. Will you take him tonight? Will you receive him tonight? Because you'll have to come and take him and receive him as your saviour if you're going to go to heaven. You'll have to do it. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Remember Esau said, I have enough. But Jacob didn't say that. Do you know what Jacob said? Remember that conversation that they had? Jacob says, Esau says, I have enough. Jacob says, I have more than enough. <laughs> oh, I love that. I have more than enough tonight. Glory to God, I have more. My heart's full tonight. I'd just love to give it all to you tonight. What he's done for me, he can do for you tonight because of that wonderful sixth cry from the cross. It is finished. And he's alive forever. Alive forever. In the late 80s, a knock came to my door in Armagh City. It was an ex-policeman He has served for a number of years and he left the force and he went into other employment and I hadn't seen him for years. And here standing at the door one day he said, I want to talk to you. He said to me, Bertie, I'm thinking of going back into the police. What do you think? Well, it would only be a fool that would have recommended that job to anybody in those days. And I certainly didn't recommend him to go back in. So I prayed with him. He was a believer. And he left. A couple of years went past. Not all that long. A couple of years just. And I was sitting in my study in Armagh and I heard a merciful bang, explosion. And I soon discovered that he went back into the police and he and a colleague was blown to bits outside the city. I went to his home to see his wife and young, very young children. And when I was in his home, his brother came in. His brother, whom was in the same job and rose high up in it. This is what I want to say to you tonight. I can remember his brother standing with his back to the fireplace. He wasn't saved. Standing with his back to the fireplace. And he said these words. He says, Bertie, he has no will made. He has no funeral arrangements made. He has no money. He has little 
in the home. The home was half built. And then he said this to me. I have all those, these things, Bertie. But I have nothing. He had nothing. But he had everything. What a statement. I'm glad that that man got saved and I'm glad that I've seen him in the tent meetings. I'm glad he got saved. I have all these things, Bertie. But I have nothing. He had nothing. But he had everything. Where are you tonight? Where are you tonight in light of my Savior, stripped naked, crowned with thorns, hanging on the cross at Calvary, dying for your sins and rising for your sins, and with his arms outstretched tonight, said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. You may have everything. But you have nothing. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Let us pray. Maybe you're 15 years of age tonight and you're not saved. That's the age Elizabeth was saved at. Maybe you're 25 and you're not saved. That's the age I was saved at. Maybe you're 79, coming 80 like the man in Gore, and you're not saved yet. And all you have to do is to repent and call and ask the Lord. Will you come to him tonight and make this a memorable day, the first day of October, when Elizabeth Wallace gave her testimony at the lifeboat? I came to know Jesus Christ as my own Savior. Will you come tonight? Will you seek him with all your heart? And you'll surely find him. There's nothing to be done. It's all done. Just come. Amen.